Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. Okay, what I'm about to intro is going to be done in the style of a VIP list girly. If you don't know who they are, go cry about it. You can follow them on Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> but they have a very distinct cadence. Um, think uh, like publicity meets uh, your most chaotic friend. So here it goes. These 2000s hotspots were arguably the best thing that ever happened to B to Z list celebrities and the Perez Hiltons of the world. But sorry, are all these iconic hotspots of yore really worth the hype us peasants have been giving them all this time? Or have our collective memories been implanted by Harry Styles and Don't Worry Darling to make these mid-at-best hotspots coolers than they were? I mean, what would the hills even be if it wasn't for Lady? Or is it the other way around? Anyway, someone pass us the retinol because we're officially too old for this nightclub shit. Go cry about it. So today, we're going to talk about some 2000s Hollywood hotspots. Uh, we're going to talk about Lady, obviously, Hyde, Guy's Bar, and the infamous or famous Chateau Marmont. Emily, what do you remember of some of these Hollywood hotspots? Well, I think what's wonderful about this episode is that you and I come at it from very different angles. Mainly, you lived in Los Angeles, and I did not. I did not see these places. I never went inside these places. And I've only seen these places or what is left of them in their current inception from afar as an adult. So for me, it is still associated with just... A, a lifestyle I couldn't even attempt to think about att attaining one day. And I I totally felt this over the weekend when I was in I was in LA and I remember like telling my friends like this when I was, you know, a teenager, this was like the thing. Like, oh my God, like I could never aspire to this life. Well, you experienced it via the hills or sure. tabloids, right? Because that was sort of – they kind of came about at the same time. And you and I have watched mm -hmm. enough uh, documentaries about the toxicity of tabloid culture in the <laughs> early 2000s when these clubs were popular. And they were kind of partly 
uh, intensified because of hotspots like this. And hotspot kind of totally. sounds like not as great in like pandemic times. But I hope you guys know that we mean hotspot as in like a happening place, which just goes to yes. show how cool I am because I said happening place. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing like that a, a term hotspot 15 years ago meant something completely different. And now for us, it is just a place swarthing with disease and germs and a virus. Yes. It's like that video of uh, everybody on spring break in Cancun in that one pool. That's a hotspot of STDs. <laughs> But these hotspots, yeah, they were uh, they were also a dime a dozen, right? Like, I have some interesting quotes in here from the guy, one of the guys who founded Les Deux, and basically saying that, like, if you can survive for up to 10 months, like, that is incredible. And I love to just point out old buildings that I used to be drunk in because they are so now they're like it's an olive garden it's it's shuttered permanently with plywood over it uh there's just so many places where like even uh, we'll be like the last time I was in LA Marianne and I were driving down the street and I was like I feel like I've been here before and I looked over and there was like a bar that was now called something totally different that I used to go to and I feel like there's this is like some Fran Lebowitz like commentary about the changing evolution of a city and how what's hot today is gone tomorrow right <laughs> pretend it's a dirty club <laughs> I mean, Leda is right around the corner from another place that is closed that I used to love, the Arclight Theater. So it kind of like goes hand in hand. But the thing about like these these places that like um, everybody wanted to go to, if you didn't really have a way in, you'd have to wait for hours and or spend thousands, like an obscene amount of money on like bottle service. And then when you get in there, they're all kind of like the same thing. You just sort of have like a different kind of set of people but every club once you've been to one is more or less the same club it's the same music it's the same experience and so maybe that's why they like pop up with like a new name but like a different place every eight to ten months because it's like if you're trying to sustain a vibe it's like unsustainable it's like trying to go viral yeah I mean it's it is one of those things that for how much infamy these places live in um, today because of their forever being immortalized on TMZ and other tabloid publications. Their actual lifespans as the most popular inception were super short at times. Like we're talking 18 months, like even probably the most famous 18 club of months all time, is which generous, generous, absolutely generous. I mean, we're even talking like in New York, I know this is a New York club, but Studio 54's heyday was like a year tops. Like that is, you know, mm -hmm. for being so famous and the image and likeness used to this day, it was really only big for about a year. Yeah, it's because we've been talking about it for 20 years that it seems like perhaps it was more popular than it was. Yes, absolutely. But I want to talk about, well... I would say this is maybe my favorite nightclub, but it's only because it's the first one I got to go to. But I just want a quick note on today's episode because there's something to remember at these nightclubs as I went down a K-hole for what happened to Guy's Bar. I discovered that essentially all of these nightclubs are 
like an elaborate Ponzi scheme because they're all owned by some conglomerate of usually men whose like nightclub restaurant group will then somehow merge or be sold or or absorbed by other entities until time infinity, sort of like tech startups. And so it can kind of be interesting to like go down these rabbit holes of like what the popular restaurant group of 2005 through seven was the Dolce Group, and now it's H Wood, as they have they seem to own a lot of popular, well, I guess quote unquote popular clubs. Because I wouldn't even say that a lot of these venues have now turned into like where you have brunch or it's a music I was venue. Say, yeah, because nobody happened, wants um, to go clubbing anymore because it's no. miserable. <laughs> it's yeah, I mean that's really it. Is like these places all shut down because clubs tend to do that, but also just the shifting tides in our culture as a society. It's just like unless you're in Europe or other parts of the world, like clubbing just or Miami, Miami being the one holdout. I feel sure, like in sure. in in the United States, but really in the U.S. We prefer a loungy, barry, what have you atmosphere. It's just not what you know club culture was 15 years ago. Well, let's kick things off with Lady, a nightclub that was founded by a former reality TV show villain that would later become insanely popular because of another reality show is the kind of nightclub inception that I personally live for. So it's co-founded by Mike, quote unquote, Boogie Malin, a contestant on the second season of CBS's Big Brother, where he was best known for being very combative and coming in second place. He partnered with his friend Lonnie Moore and they formed the Dolce Group, the Dolce Group. This is a quote uh, from their defunct website. They set out to, quote, introduce concepts engineered for Gen Xers while being marketed and backed by the reemergence of celebrity investor concepts, (laughs) which is like (laughs) word salad nonsense. This feels so fucking I'm like having like non flashbacks, like working in tech startups, just like, oh, my God, this is this sort of like bullshit non pitch that you're like, how do you how did you get money? Because you just said a bunch of words all together. I just thinking about the throwback of celebrity investor concepts, and I'm just thinking, so you mm-hmm. mean Planet Hollywood? Like, is that what you're <laughs> wanting to go back to? <laughs> well, I will tell you, the Dolce Group, sometimes referred to as the Douche Group, was a party boy <laughs> hospitality business whose other hotspots that Hills also frequented. They owned Geisha House, which was mid at best, as I went to, I went there for a friend's birthday, and the place was loud and the food sucked. Uh, I don't remember what I had, but it did not fuck. I will tell you that much. Bella Cucina and Ketchup. All of these places no longer exist. So the Dolce Group had celeb investors like known tools, Ashton Kutcher, Wilder Valderrama, and Jamie Kennedy. And although having the WB and Fox sitcom stars on your list of investors is pretty impressive, arguably the only reason any millennial knew or cared about Le Deux is because of The Hills. For six seasons, Le Deux was basically the sixth character on The Hills, the way New York is the fifth character on Sex and the City. Most infamously, it was the site of Elsie and Heidi's friendship officially coming to an end at Frankie's birthday party because you know what you did. You're a sad, pathetic person. Known for its iconic red and black velvet wallpaper and bottle service girls forced to wear something uglier than what the cast of EPR was subjected to for about eight years, it was a red corset and a black skirt. It was such a popular hideaway, though, that Britney Spears applied to work there and nearly got on the schedule in a part-time capacity in 2007. (laughs) Kim Kardashian celebrated her 27th birthday there with her original face. Shockingly, Chris was there, too, and looks exactly the same, but with better hair. AJ and Allie celebrated their 18th birthday there, which, me too! And also, how's that legal at a nightclub? No questions asked. 
There was something about the projected exclusivity of Les Deux that put celebs at ease. And even if there were sometimes MTV cameras there, they just felt like they could party there without getting gawked at or ask for autographs. They even had an alleyway entrance exit that didn't have paps overwhelming them. So this was also before, obviously, the ubiquity of cell phones or de moi. So how do you know you've got a celebrity hotspot? Well, it was the first place that Paris went to after she got out of jail in 2007. And it was also the last place that Lindsay Lohan was partying at before she was cited for a DUI by crashing her Mercedes Benz on Sunset Boulevard. It was also part crime scene, which I think is like that secret third thing that almost everything needs is like a true crime element. Like I've told you before that, you know... Real Housewives pivoting towards crime. Like everything's sort of like pivoting a little bit towards true crime. And Leda was no different. In Nancy Jo Sales' 2013 report on the bling ring, Leda was framed as the crew's base of operations. Courtney Ames, one of the members of the rings, met her boyfriend and alleged co-conspirer Jonathan Ajar while partying at Leda. Ajar was a club promoter and also a convicted drug dealer. You'd be shocked how many times those two things happened together. Ames celebrated her birthday, likely underage, at Les Deux, and in the midst of Bling Ring's burglaring activities, she could be seen hanging out with some of their celebrity marks, like Audrina Partridge, who went to Les Deux, admittedly, nearly every single night at its peak. But by 2011, the wheels had come off. Mike Malin, along with Lonnie Moore, were sued by investors of Geisha House for allegedly embezzling nearly a million dollars of investor money. In line with Malin's reputation for being the, quote, most hated house guest in Big Brother history, the lawsuit contained even more salacious details, like alleging that the business partners siphoned off company funds to pay for, quote, multiple sexual, sexual encounters and, quote, various old with various older men, uh, during which Malin would, quote, live out fetish roleplay fantasies, end quote. Malin tried to be the boy who cried extortion, though, but ultimately had to pay back $800,000. And by 2012, Malin and Moore were sued once again for the same bullshit, mismanaging investor funds. This suit alleged that Dolce Group falsified accounting records, hid funds in shell entities, and made off-the-book deals with vendors, pocketing the cash difference. By 2014, it's like, how the fuck is this guy not in jail yet? Malin was hit with having to pay $10.5 million and failing to pay eight years of rent on the Atlanta location of Geisha House. And the hits just keep coming because for four years after that, uh, because four years after that, Malin then gets hit with a restraining order by his former Big Brother co-star, Dr. Will Kirby, because Malin was apparently sending, quote, disturbing text messages and emails, including photographs of Kirby's daughter and other children at school, along with reportedly showing someone pointing a gun at a printed out image of Kirby's wife. Some real The Watcher type weird shit. Oh, my God. Malin was eventually <laughs> sentenced to two years of probation, along with 30 days of mandated mental health treatment. And that was kind of the provoke proverbial final nail in the coffin for both him and the legend of Lido. In a statement put out by the Dolce Group by Lonnie Moore, quote, Lido closed its doors after four amazing years because of dispute with the city in regards to an invalid cup. I don't really know what cup is. I think that might be maybe not checking people's ideas, IDs. The Dolce Group looks forward to further yeah. nightlife and restaurant endeavors in Hollywood and continuing success with Ketchup, Geisha House, Wonderland, and Angels and Kings. Again, none of those places exist anymore. The Dolce Group is also no longer a thing, in addition to all those defunct restaurants and nightclubs. According to Sylvian Britton, one of the partners at Dolce Group, he reflected on the days of having to purchase $1,000 tables in order to ensure entrance to his club by saying, quote, now you'll see people you might not have been able to see like three years ago. All the hedge fund guys buying expensive bottles of champagne, spending 10 grand a night easy. They don't really do it like they used to. 
But the lifespan of an average Hollywood club is typically pretty short. They have five to 10 months of shelf life, according to Britain. Quote, that's a good crowd size. They stay open for longer, of course. Lido had a good crowd for two and a half years, and it still does. We've been here for four years, which is an eternity for nightclubs. The space once o- occupied by Les Deux now houses a weekend-only events venue, Les en L.A., which describes itself on its website as an entertainment complex that throws, quote, the most epic Sunday brunch party. Go cry about it. What's interesting about this is you brought up something that <laughs> comes up a lot, which is that there's almost always like these common denominators of like the short lifespan there's embezzlement. There's like, you know, notorious <laughs> moments here and there. And ultimately, what's interesting to me is as I was doing my research for Hyde, I did not get too much into that. I I tried to see if there was anything there, but Hyde seemed to be a pretty clean operation, at least from what I was able to find out. Um, that being that said, it is. Yeah, because they, it was they managed smaller... to reboot Hyde 2.0. And yeah, they Hyde did. was a smaller club. They Lindo did. Was and it was huge. It had like uh, an upstairs outdoor. You could smoke everywhere. It was sort of it was a massive club. Like it took the, it took up a, a large portion of a very small street. Hyde on the flip side of this was I don't know. It's almost like a club that was I don't want to call it well organized, but like <laughs> had some like planning involved with it with it um Mm -hmm. which is probably why it lasted at least in its first inception for about um five four or five years which is wow that is an eternity in that yeah yes yes so Hyde in its most popular incarnation was a small club on the sunset strip most popular in the 2000s it was one of the clubs co-owned by Brent Bolthouse. And you might be like, why does that name sound so familiar? That's because in season one of The Hills, Heidi worked at Bolthouse Productions. And actually, that's not true, Ellen, because it turns out that job was made up, which I think we've talked about on the show. But just to remind you, she actually did not work there. And in an interview in BuzzFeed for BuzzFeed in 2016, Heidi said, like, not only did she not get this job, she obviously did not get a promotion over her coworker, Elodie. She really didn't work there. She pretend worked there. And so it was a pretend promotion for her coworker to be upset about. The whole plot was scripted. But I digress because Brett Bolthouse is a big name in the L.A. club scene. He moved to L.A. A little bit about him. He moved to L.A. in the late 80s from Joshua Tree and began working as a promoter at Opus Lily in 1989, the same year he started Bolt House Productions. He promoted the Roxbury, the Viper Room, and the House of Blues and later opened Babylon, Opium Den, and the venue Avalon. In late 2005, Bolt House Productions and Sam Nazarian's SBE Entertainment Group, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, they began partnering together to develop, promote, and operate nightlife spots. Among those places included uh, Area, Foxtail, Katsuya, and then, of course, a Hyde Lounge. So the Hyde Lounge opened in April. So there are conflicting accounts. So one article I read said it opened in 2005, and then this LA Times article said opened in April of 2006. So do you know by any chance, Marco, which is correct? (laughs) I don't. And that's another common theme that I found trying to get like any sort of uh, accurate-ish timeline going. But I also couldn't figure out uh, – the best I could do for when they do open was 2006 upside down question mark. So I would say <laughs> I feel like all of these popped up at the same time. And so I would, I would maybe go with 2006 over 2005. But I mean, does it really matter? I mean <laughs> – 
this sort yeah, of like it's period all gone. in life, yeah, is pretty fuzzy, and it's because you know it's a nightclub. Let's we're not the we're not in the best state of mind. Let's just go with two thousand six. So if it did open in 2006, it opened in the former North space and Bolthouse and Nazarian wanted to create an intimate space that was calmer than most clubs at the time. So everywhere else was like, you know, meant for like 500, a thousand plus people. This only fit 80 to 20 people. They wanted to create this intimate space. Um, they wanted to have DJs like Samantha Ronson and Steve Aoki that could come spin set lists of their choice and weren't necessarily dedicated to the biggest hits at the time or having a strictly hip hop, uh, set list. And because it was an 80 to a hundred person club, it was super exclusive. There's a great LA times article on Hyde written by Chris Lee from 2006 aptly titled trust us, there's no way you're on the list. And the vibe at Hyde was best summed up in this article with a Brent Bolthouse quote where he said, quote, in Hyde, you can't hide. It's a room and all the booths face each other. It's intimate by nature. Club promoter Nico Golfar also summed it nicely in that same article as saying, quote, it was kind of like your high end cheers. The aforementioned article reads a little like a Stefan review of a club, but I appreciate it because it means we get to talk about some of the most legendary and alleged things that happened at Hyde. Here's an excerpt so we can get back into peak 2006 energy. Quote, Hyde's the place where former Miss USA turned reality TV star Shanna Mochler allegedly socked Paris in the jaw and Hilton's companion Stavros Niarchos allegedly poured a drink on Mochler's head and pushed her down the stairs there. And any diligent sub celebrity gossip blog reader knows that exes Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson had an awkward run-in at Hyde last summer. It was also where Lohan, Lindsay Lohan was filming La Vida Loca, uh, was living La Vida Loca before she missed a set call for the movie Georgia Rule, prompting a letter from Morgan Creek Productions chief executive James G. Robinson admonishing her hard partying. I remember when this letter was leaked, like, the other common denominator in my two clubs or hangout spots for today are leaked uh, letters or hotel bills of Lindsay Lohan's to TMZ. Um, and then finally, where bad boy air Brandon Davis fire crotch outburst occurred where he called Lindsay oh, Lohan that a fire was in crotch. Hide. I totally it was forgot. forever immortalized on defamer.com. When mm -hmm. where pop punk songbird Avril Lavigne spat loogies at photographers. So What's interesting with Hyde is everything is kind of that happens behind the doors is going to be alleged or reported, but there's never going to be any evidence because they had a strict no photographers policy. So everything really that you can get footage wise is always for the most part going to be outside the doors. But in 2006, in October, TMZ.com reported that Nicole Richie collapsed at Hyde before checking herself into a hospital for her chronic inability to gain weight. Her publicist denied the quote unquote collapse part. But Hyde became notorious for being the place where shit went down, and so tabloids knew that they couldn't capture what went on inside the club, but they could at least know who was getting in and who wasn't getting in. So TMZ, Us Weekly, and all the other publications regularly had someone standing outside to see. One of the most notorious moments was when Tara Reid was forced to wait in line while she watched her once BFF Paris Hilton stroll into the club with an old friend of hers by the name of Kim Kardashian. Um, and as TMZ video captioned it, the moment was known as nightclub roadkill. It was, I have to say, still amazing to watch this video over 15 years later where Tara Reid is like at one side of the entrance 
and she gets denied, I believe, by Brent Boldhouse or someone else working the club that night. And then on the other side of the entrance, you see Paris and Kim just kind of strolling into the club with no problem whatsoever other than their security. Like, it is still, like, peak 2006. If I were ever to, like, put 2006 in a time capsule for, like, generations of children later to see, this is the video I would put in there. Uh, I would put the video of... Lauren screaming at Heidi, you know what you did. Oh, yes. I think those two could be a really nice pairing. You know, I feel like that mm-hmm. that really tells people what life was like. Since its heyday, Hyde closed in 2009 and briefly opened, reopened in 2012. But by then, the celeb club scene just wasn't what it once had been. And Hyde, in its original 8029 West Sunset Boulevard location, closed. But it has reopened down the street and is certainly... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Less clubby than its original inception, and to your point, Earlier with Lada, it's very much like a brunch, loungy spot. Certainly not a club anymore. Where have all the good clubs gone? We'll never know. Indeed. Well, on to Guy's Bar, which will be relatively short because Guy's Bar is only really known for one thing. And it's the only reason why this bar even made the cut is because it's the sacred site of the infamous Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, and Britney Spears outing in November of 2006. Dubbed Bimbo (laughs) Summit by the bastion of sensitive reportage, New York Post, they lost their fucking minds over three of tabloids most wanted going out together, especially after some creepy paparazzi got yet another upskirt shot of one of them. But Guy's Bar proper is a tale as old as time. The West Hollywood hotspot on Beverly Boulevard, adjacent to Kitson and Cedar sinai was popular for, mm, let's be generous and say, eight months before it abruptly became something else because it simply wasn't working anymore. Wow, again, another metaphor for L.A. at large. After it was Guy's Bar, it became Guys and Dolls. Then it was Hooray Henry's, its concept being, quote, a posh London apartment party. And then it just became Henry's. (laughs) Now it's a music venue called the Peppermint Club, and it's run by the Gen Z version of the Dolce Group, H-Wood Group. And by the way, H-Wood, uh, it's lowercase h dot and lowercase w-o-o-d, all that's lowercase group. Normal, normal group, capital G. Who also own the most current set of hotspots in L.A., like the nice guy and Bootsy Bellows. But I don't think L.A. nightlife is quite what it used to be. And I'm not just saying that because it isn't marketing to me. I would say New York's nightlife is kind of where it's at because their clubs like Casa Cipriani are like a members only club where you cannot take videos or post videos from inside. And I just think that's sort of the way that clubs have gone. If you want if you want the like. I'm, I ran into a celebrity or like I danced with a celebrity on the dance floor or whatever, or I, my, the, my back is in the background of the hills. There is not really that anymore. 
And if you yeah. want a celeb sighting, you have to like get on someone's membership to go to a more exclusive members only right. club or else you're stuck, not stuck and not like it's a bad thing. You're stuck going to like whatever, like a, a divey club bar where it's like part bar, part club in the back, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you brought up a really good point, which is I think like Soho House and Cipriani come are probably mm-hmm. what comes closest to having that energy these days. And Soho House is an interesting one because like not only they have several locations, so it's like yeah. you can have one in any city you go to. So you have that level of exclusivity. And the other thing is like what it's constitutes like a celebrity. <laughs> yes. It's like Equinox yes. for, co- for for clubbing. <laughs> Yes. And what's interesting also there is that we just have a whole other level of celebrity these days. Like people Mm -hmm. who are connected and whatnot are not necessarily actors and singers. Like before the famous for just being famous was restricted to Paris Hilton and a few, a select few. Nowadays, it takes up a majority of what feels like celebrity culture. Well, I think we've talked about this before, not on the podcast, maybe just like to each other, but like where like TikTok teens go now is fucking Saddle Ranch on Sunset oh Boulevard. Oh my God. Is <laughs> so funny and sad at the same was- time because that was where we would go in high school at the <laughs> at the Universal City Walk because that was like the hot spot where you could like, because until, I don't know, 9, 30, 10 or whatever, they're not checking ID. They're still technically a restaurant and you can get on the bull and still do all that dumb shit. But there was always somebody who could get a couple of beers. And so it just makes me laugh that like it's come full circle now. And that's where like, to your point, the famous for the sake of being famous, they hang out at Saddle Ranch. Well, the other thing is Saddle Ranch. I know it also got an uh, like a huge uh like increase in people going there because it's outdoors, right? And mm-hmm. like that as a result, like during the pandemic, it became a both a literal oh, hotspot so and a figurative hotspot. Well, uh, if you can cast your mind back to like 2018, 2019, that's also like where bachelor a uh, bachelor oh, universe yeah. people would party as well. And they, there was they some love a country theme. They do. I mean, look at that. They love stagecoach. Put Bachelor yep. in Paradise at Stagecoach 2023. But if you could cast your mind back to like there was a VH1 special as well that like ta- that followed um former contestants from America's Next Top Model and Britney, I believe, the one that kind of looked like Janice Dickinson was like, oh, I'm going to like, oh, she didn't call it this, but essentially it was like a, a meetup for former reality TV contestants. And so she met up with people that were on The Bachelor, people that were on The Challenge, and there was just a big group of them hanging out at Saddle Ranch. <laughs> so since time immemorium, um, people who are famous for being on reality TV or for the sake of being famous or whatever have all congregated at Saddle Ranch, apparently, which is adjacent to, especially the one on Sunset, Chateau Marmont. Which is a great transition because I think what's interesting about the three other clubs that we talked about today or hotspots, these are all places that had a very, very short time and space. However, the Chateau will be celebrating, if it's still around, its 100th anniversary or birthday in this decade. So that is something. In a world where we think of classic Hollywood as being classy, chaste, G-rated, if you will, the Chateau Marmont has always been there to tell you, actually, bitch, that's not true. 
The Chateau Marmont is a pretty unique hangout spot because it transcends the time period we focused on and has a ton of history. So located at 8221 Sunset Boulevard, the hotel has 63 rooms, suites, and bungalows and was designed by architects Arnold Weitzman and William Douglas Lee and completed in 1929. It was modeled loosely after the Chateau d'Amboise, a royal retreat in France's Loire Valley and the burial spot of Leonardo da Vinci, which is kind of funny because because Chateau Marmont has hosted the other famous Leonardo, specifically Leonardo DiCaprio's 21st birthday was held there. The Chateau has served as a short-term and sometimes long-term stay for many celebrities over its past almost 100 years. One key factor to that continuation of being the place to stay is because the hotel is notoriously discreet and has banned paparazzi, although that sure as hell hasn't stopped stories from leaking over the years. It's also served as a place where celebs on the decline have gone to party their sorrows away. We can start as early as, you know, the 1940s and 50s. In 1952, writer-director Nicholas Ray moved into the bungalow after finding his second wife, actress Gloria Graham, in bed with his 13-year-old son from his first marriage. (laughs) And he rebounded quickly with Joan Crawford, Marilyn Monroe, Jane Mansfield, and Zsa Zsa Gabor. Rebel Without a Cause, which he directed, got the green light during his stay there, and he met James Dean, the eventual star of his movie there. Ray held rehearsals for the movie at the hotel and would end up having an affair with his movie's other star, Natalie Wood, who was 16 fucking years old at the time. She eventually grew tired of Ray, who was 27 years older than her, and ran off with her 18-year-old other co-star, Dennis Hopper, who was known for having a myriad of orgies and parties at the Chateau Marmont. Other OG A-listers who used to party at the Chateau include Humphrey Bogart, Errol Flynn, David Niven, and John Barrymore, a.k.a. Drew's grandfather, who threw notorious parties. Jean Harlow and Clark Gable had an affair at the hotel during her honeymoon with her third husband, and Jim Morrison notoriously trashed his room and leapt from the roof and dangled from a drainpipe. Chateau Marmont is also tied to some early tragedy. It's where John Belushi died of a drug overdose in Bungalow 3 on March 5th, 1982, and where Helmut Newton suffered a heart attack in 2004 and died because he crashed his car while he was pulling out of the driveway. Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate moved out of the hotel and into a house on Cielo Drive because she was pregnant and felt it was inappropriate to raise a kid where they had been partying for the time being. Unfortunately, six months later, as we all know, Tate, her baby, and friends would be murdered by the Manson family. But to the 90s, the hotel was sold to Andre Balas and underwent a major renovation. The place continued to be the place to party where allegedly Kate Moss and Johnny Depp christened every single one of the 63 rooms. Yikes. And later in the 2000s, the chateau was the focal point of where many celebs were living or staying for a long period and many sexcapades and or parties occurred. Lindsay Lohan was probably the most famous resident of the hotel in the 2000s and 2010s. Her time in 2012 was so notorious that it has its own section in the book, The Castle on Sunset, Life, Death, Love, Art, and the Scandal at Hollywood's Chateau Marmont by Sean Levy, which I am now dying to read. Have you read this, Margot? No, I haven't, but I've seen it around. It's recently been optioned to be a show either on like Paramount Plus or Netflix that um, John Krasinski would produce, but I couldn't find anything about it if it ever actually went into production. Um, As with most things with John Krasinski attached, it probably didn't (laughs) go anywhere. Uh, Well, whatever happened to that stupid good news show? No one knows. CBS paid tens of millions of dollars for... 
for their little yeah Instagram. Yeah. I know, I know, <laughs> so and put ridiculous. it under a fucking paywall. Oh, your only happy video of the day: seeing a puppy with a baby laughing together. Like, let's make it. Let's put that under a paywall. Like, ugh. anyway, anyway, I Lindsay- I would like to read the book though. It sounds good. Me too. Lindsay had obviously spent. T- time at the hotel over the years in 2010 she got into a shouting match with avril lavigne in the garden restaurant and that altercation ended when Lindsay lohan rebuffed by security guards and her pleas to get avril lavigne ejected was stormed out of the hotel she would later she by she i mean Lindsay would rack up a notorious hotel bill in 2012 which started when she moved out of her house in venice in february and moved into a suite at the hotel her friend had been renting she then fully moved into the chateau in june and began renting a large suite she was filming the classic lifetime movie liz and dick where she played another person notorious for her time at the chateau marmont elizabeth taylor She was getting paid at least $300,000 for the film and thought Lifetime was going to pay her expenses while she was shooting Liz and Dick. Spoiler, they weren't. In July, (laughs) Lindsay, (laughs) Lindsay threw an Independence Day slash birthday party for herself and several friends. They started in the hotel's restaurant and eventually made their way to her suite and racked up a bill that included over $2,600 for food and drinks, $710 for the rental of the suite, which was the corporate rate, by the way, and $75 (laughs) for a rental of a laptop from the hotel. And the bill came out to, I know, $3,500 for that one day alone. She then proceeded to rent the room for 57 days, and during that time, she spent over $10,000 on room service, hotel, restaurant bills, and minibar charges, in addition to more than $700 on cigarettes. Love you, Lindsay. $600 on laundry. $600 plus on laundry. Nearly $400 on pay-per-view movies, which I have some serious questions. And then more than $100 on magazines and iPhone chargers from the hotel gift shop. Why are you surprised that this woman loses every iPhone charger she's ever had? You've seen (laughs) the condition of her Birkin bags when she parades them out. Like I was I was just thinking that I was like that disheveled Birkin bag just bleeding out iPhone chargers and cigarettes everywhere. And like you can tell there's at least one or two cigarette burn marks. Like it's just it's it's we a well worn bag on those. Oh, it's oh, it's worn in. It's it's worn in. Once you added the room rates, parking, taxes, etc., her final bill at the Chateau Marmont came out to $46,350.04 in less than two months, and she kept insisting to hotel management that she wasn't responsible for it. On oh, July no. 31st, this is general- very. Anna- are you getting flashes of Anna Delvey right now? Because yes, I am. Yes, yes. She, I mean, Lindsay gave her a blueprint. I'm just, she I was gave her say. a blueprint. On July 31st, General Manager Philip Pavel presented Lohan with a 16-page itemized bill for her stay, (laughs) along with a note that basically ordered her to vacate the premises as of noon of the next day. I regret to inform you, quote, he wrote, that we will no longer be able to extend any further credit for you to remain in the hotel. The bill (laughs) was eventually leaked to TMZ in the following month, and the leak threatened the discreet reputation the Chateau had. And so they had to put out a statement basically doubling down on their commitment to secrecy and saying it was someone in her entourage that leaked it. Eventually, Lindsay worked out some way to pay off the bill with Andre Balas and or she negotiated something because she was very quickly seen back on the property after this. 
I have um, a question. Another <laughs> yes, of course. Which which letter do you think is worse that Lindsay got? The one from the dude at Morgan <laughs> Creek Productions or the letter that she got from Pavel at Chateau Marmont? I'm going to say the Chateau because it's itemized, whereas the Morgan <laughs> Creek letter is just a summary. If they had put down a bulleted <laughs> list of her transgressions, I would I would say it would be a tough competition. Sure. Okay. Okay. That's fair. They both don't Another make her look moment. good, but I just find them very funny. No. Let's look, we can both safely say we are very happy that Lindsay is now making a steady uh, check out of Netflix movies. It's certainly better than the life for her health. It is certainly the better life than she, what she was living 10 years ago. Um, $700 of cigarettes. In, <laughs> that's all. $700 <laughs> of cigarettes. Another moment in Chateau history involving Lindsay Lohan is when her fuck list was leaked. On it included mm. James Franco, who she allegedly slept with while at the hotel. But James Franco, because he was deep in his college student phase when the story leaked, wrote a short story about this and denied it. Um, other famous residents in the 2000s included ScarJo and who in 2004 lived at the hotel, even though she owned a home in L.A., saying it, quote, felt less lonely than her house, which was like very depressing to read. Yeah. But during during that time, I believe it was after the Oscars or another award show, she and Benicio Del Toro allegedly made out and maybe even hooked up in an elevator, although Johansson and Del Toro have sort of both denied it with Johansson joking that it would be unsanitary and del toro's response was like maybe it happened maybe it didn't but he also reminded people that the elevator is super compact and the hotel is only seven floors which meant he would quote still be struggling out of his jacket by the second floor (laughs) in terms of other (laughs) alleged hookups sienna miller began her affair with la royalty at the chateau marmont because in 2000 actor and socialite Balthazar getty married fashion designer rosetta millington in the mid-2000s, you might remember Miller dated and got engaged in 2004 to Jude Law, her co-star in Alfie. That engagement ended because he fucked the nanny. And then they tried to reconcile, but eventually split in 2006, cut to 2008, when Balthazar Getty and Sienna Miller began having an affair at the hotel, and they were caught multiple times on camera despite the hotel's discretion policies. But eventually, Getty reconciled with his wife, and Sienna Miller got back together with Jude Law for a final short period of time. Some sadder things that have happened at the hotel in the 90s and 2000s. John Frusciante, after getting replaced by Dave Navarro and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, relapsed into his heroin addiction and lived out of one of the bungalows. It was also at the Chateau Marmont, where Heath Ledger was caught snorting coke on video in 2006, a year before his death. And in 2007, Britney Spears was ejected from the restaurant because she was allegedly smearing food on her face. Later in 2010, Courtney Love kicked Peaches Geldof out of her hotel room because she showed up with a ton of pills, basically telling Geldof to get her shit together, which coming from Courtney Love is saying something. Geldof, of course, sadly died in 2014 of an overdose. And obviously, given what we know about all these individuals, the tabloid fodder that surrounded these incidents feels super gross. Do you remember these, like, all these stories coming out? I'd forgotten about that part of Britney's, like, you know, meltdown where she began. Like, that was one story I'd forgotten about. I definitely had forgotten about that. I remember mostly just the Lindsay Lohan stuff pretty well. And, um, oh, God, 
I think recently, though, because Chateau Marmont like closed temporarily and then they it reopened. Did. And yes. I, the last thing I had heard about Chateau Marmont was that FKA Twigs and Andy McDowell's daughter had gotten into an argument in the lobby. And that was the, that's the only thing that I truly currently remember about anything going down in the Marmont. That's not Lindsay it's, Lohan it, related. It's or from that terrible point, movie somewhere. Sorry, I had to throw that. that I was going to bring it up. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I had a. I have my final paragraph on that, which okay. is that mm-hmm. in the last ten, the last ten years, we haven't heard about the Chateau Marmont quite as frequently. Um, mm-hmm. The notorious lifestyles, though, of celebrities who have lived there is probably best immortalized in that movie. Like, it's probably my least favorite or one of my least favorite Sofia Coppola movies, but I think it does a decent job, like portraying the lifestyle there with like Steven Dorff as like this recently divorced actor who's living off of like drinking and taking pills. He, his daughter played by Elle Fanning shows up and he eventually leaves the Chateau because like you can't have a stable lifestyle living there. Surprise, surprise. Oh, and then you know what? I think Nicholas didn't Nicholas Cage live in the Chateau Marmont in that recent movie he was in. Um, the unbearable. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. He did live there. The unbearable yes, weight yes. of genius or whatever. <laughs> right. Which uh, I feel like is perf- like a perfect place to have had him live in that movie. Um, that was a very. I think you're fun right movie. about somewhere. You're like it is totally. Even though it's a cliche that Steven Dorff is like some <clears throat> former actor with a drinking pill and smoking problem. <clears throat> he did. Kinda, he true. did kind of play himself. <laughs> he did. That is truly though the place where you would expect to find someone like that like I, the whole concept of living in a hotel long term to me is so bizarre that i yes it's very hard to identify with on any level but um it, it i don't know every time it's hard not to make like an eloise joke because her and like i know um, what's his face gene hackman and royal tannenbaums are like the only other cultural touchstones i have for living in a hotel <laughs> So there's only one other person I can think of, which is that um, Gabby Hoffman, the actress, uh, who's like mm-hmm. now transitioned into being an, an adult actress in a bunch of kind of in, more indie films, but was a really yeah. big child actress in our day. She grew up in the Chelsea Hotel because her mom was one of Andy Warhol's friends. And I forget who she was exactly, but there was a parody. One of like her mom's artist friends wrote a parody book of Eloise called Gabby at the Chelsea which just like mm-hmm. in peak 1980s Chelsea Hotel feels like so much less glamorous and more surrounded by junkies and like really sad things. But <laughs> um, I, I digress that to your point, though, it really is living in a hotel is such a weird concept. And yet, you know, there are a handful of hotels out there where it seems to have perpetuated over the years. Um, but yeah, not quite anywhere like the um, Chateau Marmont, which in 2020, you're talking about a members-only type of club. They actually mm-hmm. tried to convert the hotel to be a members-only club in 2020, but those plans were actually scrapped this year. And that's really it I have about Chateau Marmont. Oof. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm a peasant. I would I, the Even the idea of staying at a hotel long-term is so expensive. It doesn't make any financial sense to me. <laughs> It makes no sense, but I also think like you and I personally are big um, kind of home people in the sense of like we like to furnish our homes, we like to nest, we like to decorate, and I feel like that lifestyle at a hotel it's kind of it's almost like a hard partying version of the up in the air of it all, where like you know George Clooney lives hotel room to hotel room. 
um, where you don't like get to put down roots. You don't get to like make a place your own. And it's, it, there is like, it's, it's weird, but it's also depressing in many ways. <laughs> Kind of like the entire subject matter that we discussed today. <laughs> the more things yes. change, the more they stay the same. And it's like reassuring and also kind of a little sad because one thing you can count on is a hot spot not staying hot for long. So you might as well enjoy it while you can. If you can stand Indeed. being in a line for longer than 20 minutes. Which who has time for that? Who has time? Just go to a bar. It's just as good. And maybe they have a jukebox and you can put on whatever you want to listen to instead of being at the mercy of some random DJ. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Happy Thanksgiving back. We are so grateful that you listened to this episode. We really hope you enjoy it. And we are especially grateful if you leave us a rating or if you give us uh, some dollars on Patreon. You can find us on Patreon at Old Millennials Pod and you can leave us a nice little Thanksgiving review wherever you're listening to this podcast, but primarily Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can follow us on social media at Old, Old Millennials Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Like I said, find us on Patreon and we will be back next week with a new episode and until then, we say bye-bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.